A little over 2,000 years ago, a young man walked into a Jewish synagogue. He unrolled the scrolls, and he began to quote Isaiah 61, if you'll allow me to paraphrase that. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to mend the brokenhearted, and to set the captives free. Then he rolled back up the scroll, he handed it to the attendant, and he sat down in the congregation. And then with all eyes upon him, he said, oh, and by the way, as you are hearing this, this scripture has been fulfilled. <gasps> the Jews were okay with Jesus until he started making statements like this. And then they said, who does he think he is? God? And look around this place. Do you see poor, blind, broken-hearted captives? It upset the congregation so much that they led him out to the city where they were hoping to throw him over the city walls. I'm June Fellhauer, as Paul said, and I am here tonight because for the past 28 years, I have been a mentor and worked with the blind, broken-hearted captives. I've worked with the sexually abused, I've worked with teenage moms, I've worked with young couples who didn't think they could stand each other for another moment. And in fact, in the past 28 years, I have actually been that poor, blind, broken-hearted captive. But tonight, I believe that Jesus wants to show us how he came to set us free. He came to show us who he is. He's going to answer that question. Who is this Jesus? And who are the poor, blind, brokenhearted that he wants to set free? And he wants to do it tonight through quantum physics. Are you excited about that? I would like to remind you of a quote that one of, a great, one of the greatest Jewish physicists said, Albert Einstein. He said, science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. You see, God shows us through science what is going on in the physical as well as what is going on in the spiritual. Now tonight, we are actually going to do some quantum leaping. What is quantum leaping? Quantum leaping is when you go from point A to point B, but you never had to go through anything to get there. It would be as if I'm in my living room reading the newspaper, and then in a blink of an eye, I end up here speaking to you. That would be a quantum leap. Now, is this scriptural? Yes. In, in um, 1 Kings 18, 7 through 12, and some of these are put throughout your bulletin, some of, of the uh, scriptures that I've given you tonight, but if you went to 1 Kings, you would find a man named Elijah. And Obadiah has found Elijah, and he said, Elijah, do you know the king wants to kill you? And Elijah goes, yeah, go tell him I'm here. And Obadiah goes, are you kidding me? I'm going to go get the king. I'm going to come back here, and you're going to be gone because I have watched the Spirit of the Lord make you disappear like that, Elijah. He had a reputation for this. Oh, yeah, well, that's Old Testament. How about the New Testament? 
In Acts 8, there is a disciple named Philip. He is going from Jerusalem down to Gaza on a dusty road, and the, the Spirit of the Lord says, I want you to go catch that chariot. It has a, youth, youth, <laughs> a eunuch. He's Ethiopian, okay? He is in there, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. I want you to run up, catch it, and tell him what he's reading. So he does. Philip runs up, he catches it, tells him what he's reading, and this Ethiopian says, I want to know the Lord. There is a pond there. Let's go baptize me. So Philip goes out, and he, he goes in the water with this guy. He dips him down. He comes out, and it says Philip disappears. The Spirit of the Lord took him to Azotus. Check that one out in the scriptures. Where was this stuff when we were in Sunday school? Do any of you remember this quantum leaping? How about the Apostle Paul when he says, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body, but the next thing I knew, I was in the third heaven. The whole book of John was written by a man who was held captive on an island and was given an incredible revelation. He was taken into the heavens. So tonight, God is going to take us places in the Spirit to set you free. Before we go there, I'm going to go to my knees, and I, if you'd like to join me, that's fine. If you want to just sit where you are and bow your head, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the anointing that is on me tonight to preach your word. I thank you for the people that are in here, and I pray right now, Lord God, that you would take your spade of love, and you would take the person with the hard heart, and you would chop that up. You would get that soil so ready to plant with the seed that you have for them tonight. The person who's in here is just so worried, who has all these thoughts, who's had all this confusion. Will you just take and pluck all those weeds out of their heart, Lord, that they can have that seed planted tonight in what you want to tell them? And those with all the rocks, it's just not good soil, Lord. Will you remove the rocks so that they can hear your word? Because, Lord, after tonight, we are believing for an enormous harvest. And we pray and we know that we're going to see you and be redeemed by you, Jesus style. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you turn with me now to the book of John? Now, if you were here last week, Paul read from the book of John, and I'm actually going to be reading the same passage. It's John 8, but we are coming at it from different angles, so don't go, man, Paul was there last week. John 8, starting with verse 1. Now, if you have your Bibles, get your pens ready. I'm going to tell you to underline a few things. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple. Would you underline the temple? And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court. Would you underline center of the court? And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Underline caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, 
He who is at without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Then Jesus again spoke to them, underline them, I am the light of the world. Underline, I am the light of the world. Will you close your eyes with me for just a moment, and we are going to take our first quantum leap. We are going to go back to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount. Jesus has just been preaching in the temple of Herod. He comes out and there's this big, long marble staircase that goes down into this court. This courtyard has a sand floor or a dirt floor, and around it there is this huge stone walls. Are you there? As we stand behind Jesus, we can see coming in, there's a, a mob. It looks like men coming in from the corner. They're dressed well. They, they look like they're carrying something, perhaps a stone. And they're dragging something with them. It's a woman. She doesn't look like she wants to come. And as they drag her into the court, they throw her at Jesus' feet. They say, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. Now, as we stand back here, we are looking at this from the perspective of what goes on here. They throw this woman down. She's been caught in adultery, in the very act. There's no question whether or not she has done it. She has done it. Our first instinct is that, oh, this horrible woman, this homewrecker, this evil person, Jesus, what do you say? Should we stone her? And we have the same feeling that these men are having. Come on, let's just stone her. She's worthless in society. But Jesus said, that is not how I see her. You see, Jesus sees her from his own perspective, not our perspective. He looks at her and he says, Woman, I knew you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I was there when you were a little girl and you had these big brown eyes and this smile and you were so innocent. I watched you play in the playground. I was there the day your uncle talked you into sitting on the couch with him and putting the blanket over you and snuggled up to you and began to fondle you. He told you this is normal, that you're special, that don't tell anyone. This is between you and him. I know you were confused. I know you didn't know exactly what was going on. I remember how sad you were the day that your dad left and you were so abandoned. And how when your mom would bring the men over to spend the night and you begged her, please do not marry this man, mom. I heard your cries. 
when he sexually abused you the first time. I know your hurts. I know your pain. I love you. I don't know about you, but as an onlooker looking in, I want to run to this woman's defense, and I want to say, how dare you rich, pompous, power-hungry, mean men do this to this woman? Do you not know that in the law of Moses, it also says that the other guy is supposed to be convicted as well? I hear Jesus back here. June, get behind me. Well, Jesus, do you not know what else is here? They're not supposed to be in this court. They're supposed to have an appointment. June, get behind me. You see, I knew these men as well from the day they were formed in their mother's womb. I watched them be innocent young men as well. I watched them grow up. I watched the day that they were sent to the religious schools and they were learning the scriptures front to back, not because they loved me, but because it moved them up in society. I watched as the teachers would hit them on the knuckles or thump them on the ears when they didn't know the correct answers to the scriptures. I watched as they were taught all the feast and all the religious rites. I watched how they had to sacrifice things they didn't want to sacrifice because of religion. Oh, yeah. I see her emotional abuse. I see her sexual abuse. I see her fear from all of that. But I also see over here the spiritual abuse that has gone on their entire life. They have been taught that if they, if they learned enough, if they knew enough, they could be famous, they could be rich, they could be the rulers. Oh yeah, did you see how much I gave? I get to take a cruise, I gave so much to that ministry. Amen? Did you see my name on the billboard as you go by that building? I gave so much. They gave and they did, not because they were in love with God and his word, but because it advanced them. And Jesus can see where they are because they keep questioning him. Jesus, what about this law? Jesus, what about that law? Jesus, what are you going to do about this? And from Jesus' perspective, he looks back here and he sees that their spiritual abuse is even greater than this physical, sexual, emotional abuse. Now, I don't want to undermine what this woman has been through, and I don't want to undermine sexual abuse because it's a horrible, horrible thing. But what we need to understand in the church is sexual or spiritual abuse is the most dangerous of all kinds. Because if you are sexually abused, you cannot be healed from any of this. You see, the Word of God says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. It also says in the word James that if you come to me in unbelief, don't ever expect one prayer to be answered. And so these men are coming to Jesus and they're, they're asking all these questions, all these questions, but they'll never be healed 
I want to ask some of you in here tonight. Where are you with Christ? As far as, are you always asking him questions? Why did this happen? Why did this take place? If you're such a great God, what, what was this all about? If you're such a great God, how come this happened? Is that where you are? If you are, you are spiritually abused. And if you are spiritually abused, you will never get healed emotionally, physically, or sexually. I want to take just a minute here. And I want to tell you that one of the greatest spiritual abuses that's on the church tonight is false humility. We don't know who we are in Christ. We don't come to God with faith and with confidence. And if you pray like this, I'm going to take us on a little side note for just a second. We're going to come back. But if you pray like this, I want you to know that you are spiritually abused. If you go to God, oh God, we cannot pay our bills this week. Could you please give my husband a better job? No. Oh God, oh God, would you please heal Aunt Margaret because she's got a cold. Could you please do that? Nope. Oh God, God, please, please, I'm in desperate need. Could you? No, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he who has faith must come. Do you know what the scriptures say? The scriptures say in, um, where do the scriptures say this? Isaiah 45, the scriptures say, you need to come to me and you need to state your case. It also says, come before me and command me. It's a military term. Like if you were a general of the army and there was the president of the United States and you came and you said, President, my men are out of food. They need food by morning. You go to the president and you say, I expect it by morning. That president is going to get on the phone. He's going to make calls. He's going to do what is right for those soldiers because they're fighting for the country. It's the exact same thing with us. We need to learn, warriors of the kingdom, how to go before the throne of God and state our case. Now, if you were at my house and you watched me pray, you might kind of think I'm a crazy lady. In fact, one morning I was praying in my office and I looks out over the monument and I start praising and praying to the Lord and then I'm like stating my case and then I'm singing and, and I'm kind of dancing and, and I'm looking out the window and I open my eyes and there in my driveway is a whole truckload of electricians. They don't know whether to run or come in the house. I just waved. I want to give you an example before I go on, this is my little footnote here. I want to give you an example. If you are sexually abused, how you might go to the Lord. Don't go to the Lord. God, please make this stop. I want you to go before the Lord. Something like this. Now remember, you need to know the scriptures in order to state your case. So it's going to be your job to start studying out the scriptures. But if you went before the Lord and you said, Oh God, you are sovereign. You are king over all. And I'm going to trust you for that. 
Now, Lord God, I know what your word says, and your word says that what the locusts have eaten, you will restore. Lord, he has eaten my body. He has eaten my emotions. He has eaten my rights. Lord God, he has taken my freedom from me. Lord, I expect you to repair this body. I expect you to repair this soul. I I expect, Lord God, for you to heal me. God, I know what your word says. Your word says that whatever the enemy intended for evil, you will use for good. Lord God, I know that you will bring mighty, mighty glory out of this. I know that you're going to use me to help other people. I know that your name is going to be glorified through this mighty God. Father God, while I do not understand all of this, I know that you are the king. And your ways are greater than my ways. Father God, you say what the enemy has taken from me, he owes me back sevenfold. Amen. Amen. And that's how we need to start going before the Lord. There's some serious issues going on here. We've got sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, which causes great fear. We have spiritual abuse, which causes, or spiritual abuse, which causes unbelief. Jesus knows both sides, and he's absolutely crazy in love with both of them. And for this reason, he bends down, and he writes in the sand. Now, none of us know exactly what Jesus wrote in that sand. But I think based on the circumstantial evidence here, we can have a really good idea of what Jesus wrote in the sand. I believe the first thing that he wrote in the sand would be something like this. 2 Samuel 1 through 12. You don't have to turn there with me. What it is about is King David has just been approached by the prophet Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes to him and he says, King David, there is this very rich man who has a lot of of sheep. His herds are great. There is this poor man who only has one ewe. Now this rich man had a traveler come into town. But first of all, I got to tell you about how much this this poor man loves this ewe. He brings it in and he lets the kids and play with it and, and he eats bread with them. And even at night, this this poor man will put this ewe on his bosom. He loves him so much. Now, King David, one day a traveler comes through town. And this rich man wants to offer him a fine meal, but he doesn't want to sacrifice his own sheep. So he goes and he sacrifices the ewe of the poor man. Oh, King David is livid. He goes, bring him here. We're putting the death penalty on him. And the prophet Nathaniel said, King David, the rich man, is you. You stole his wife, Bathsheba. I believe what the Lord is trying to tell us through physics is that you reap what you sow. And do not judge, lest ye be judged. We're going to go very quickly to the book of Romans, Romans 2. 
And this is what the scriptures say about this. Romans 2, 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. Underline condemn yourself if you've got a pencil. For you who practice, who judge, practice the same thing. Now tonight, if you have a chance, you go home and you read Romans 2, and then you go and read Romans 1 and see what they were judging. They were judging adultery. They were judging sexual abuse. They were judging homosexuality. They were judging liars, cheaters, all those things that you think you should be able to judge. Amen? God says, no, you can judge that that is wrong, but you cannot judge the people because you don't see them through my perspective. And you will judge wrong. And when you judge wrong, based on the physics, it will come back to you. See, Jesus knows a a physics principle that is profound. He knows that when you speak out of your mouth, there are sound waves that you cannot see, okay? These sound waves are going out. And when a sound wave hits something, it bounces back at you. I'm often reminded of Jim Carrey in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And he's in his little cave, and he's, he's feeling so sorry for himself, and he's got this, you know, green fingers and all that. And he's laying there, and he goes, I'm an idiot! And the echo goes, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And Jesus knows this principle. He knows that when you speak out judgment, it's going to come back at you. He doesn't want us to judge because it will bounce back at you. But the second reason that he gives them this principle is because... He knows that you will judge it on your own perception. You will start judging a case from your own perspective, and it will never be right. You will judge it from your own perspective, and what is going to start is a wave, not a sound wave, we're going to go water wave here, a wave that will pretty soon become a tsunami. And what happens to a tsunami is that it will keep going and going and going until something stops it. Jesus knows this principle, you guys. You see, he was there when the Holy Spirit whispered in Sir Isaac Newton's ear the law of motion. Every object in a state of uniform motion tends to remain in that motion unless an external force is applied to it. Amen? Motion will stay in motion unless another motion comes against it. Could you put up the sound wave for just a minute? I want you to see this because this is going to be so important in your healing. Do you see how you've got a sound wave? Now, these are starting out pretty big. But what happens in a sound wave is you've got a wave coming and then another wave coming. And those waves actually, that's not a very good picture of it, but what happens is they actually go through each other and then they go out. Now tonight, I want to take you to your own place. I want you to quantum leap with me again to a crisis in your own life. You see, a crisis happens when there's a paradigm shift. Just like with a tsunami, there's a shift in the ocean's floor. Amen? And when there's a shift in the ocean's floor, it pushes that wave up, and then it starts. And if something doesn't stop it, we're talking take out the path that it hits. In your life, 
If you've had a crisis in your life, you, it's a paradigm shift. And if you get a shift going, you're going to get a thought pattern going, you're going to get a wave going that if it does not get stopped, you're going to ruin your entire life and your entire family. Amen? Will you quantum leap back with me for just a moment to the crisis in your life? It could be the time when your dad left your mom or you found out that there had been adultery going on in your own family. Perhaps a brother or a sister were killed in a car accident. Perhaps you felt abandoned by a friend. For myself, I know it was teen pregnancy. I want you to go back to that place in your life right now for a moment. In your bulletin, there is actually a form in the back, and I want you to write it down. What was the crisis in your life? And once you've written that down, now I want you to put next line, who do you blame for the crisis? Maybe it was the brother, the mother, the dad. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's God. Who do you blame for the crisis in your life? Now, for just one moment, we're going to judge. You're going to like this because this is what you've been doing anyway. So for just a moment, we're going to start judging. I want you to write down five things that you cannot stand about this person. Whoever's caused this crisis in your life, I want you to write down five things about him that you cannot stand. He's abusive. He lies. He cheats. He's greedy. He's arrogant. He's selfish. He's boastful. He's demanding. He's controlling. He's an idiot. Write it down. You guys are so quiet. Write those things down. Now, I want to tell you, does it feel kind of good? Are you getting mad? Are you getting angry? Anybody? Can you feel this wave going? It's bringing back these emotions, and you are just reliving it. He stinks. She stinks. Whatever the situation, you're mad. Let's slow down your wave for one second. Now, instead of taking the splinter out of their eye, we're going to take the log out of yours. With every one of those things that you just wrote down, I want you to put the initials of who sees you like that. Who sees you angry? Who sees you mean? Who sees you arrogant? Who sees you controlling? Who sees you in that situation? And some of you in here are going, June, I have never sexually abused anyone. Well, let me ask you this. When have you ever desired your own wants or your own needs over somebody else's? It could be you desired doing something when you knew another person did not want to do it and you said, oh yes, we are going to do this. I do it all the time to my husband. Who sees you like that? Now write your initials by all of those things that you have judged them because your wave has just started slowing down a tad. And now I want you to ask yourself, how has that behavior actually benefited me? You see, God says that what Satan intended for evil, he intends for good. 
So how does their snotty-nosed meanness actually benefit you? It makes you not want to be mean, right? How did that abuse benefit you? Perhaps it drew you to God. Perhaps now you have an incredible ministry to somebody else. Ask Beth Moore how sexual abuse benefited her. Ask Joyce Myers how sexual abuse benefited her. Because God's word is true and they knew it. They knew that God would bring them out of the miry pit and use their life for good and that nobody could stop God for the purpose he had in their life. Ask yourself, how has that been a blessing in your life? Now we're going to come from it the other way. I want you to name five things that are good about this person that you are so disgusted with. I can't think of one thing, June. Can't think of one thing to like about that person. Oh, yes, you can. They were created in the image of God. I'm sure you've seen them be nice to somebody. I'm sure you've seen them be kind to somebody. I'm sure you've seen something good if you think about it. Do you realize that there are 40,000 human traits in each one of us, characteristics in each one of us? I'm sure you can find five good things about them. Now again, slow down the wave, because you don't want to put anybody on a pedestal either. Slow down the wave. Who sees you like that? Who sees you kind? Who sees you positive? Who sees you really good? Who sees you like that? My mother. How is that a disadvantage to you? Hmm. When somebody is so positive and you walk into a room... How does that almost make you feel bad about yourself? When, girls, when you walk into a room and there's Miss Popularity in there, and I mean, they are just, woohoo, everybody likes them, how do you feel about yourself? Like, ooh, maybe I should get a new hairdo? How does that go against you? You see, here's what's happening. You put your thought process into motion, your perception, which isn't necessarily right anyway, you put your perception into motion, and then you take the Word of God and God's thought into motion, and you will come up, and you will go through, and you will let go. This is a quantum physics principle. Do you know that the Greeks have a word for letting go? It's called off of me. I like to accent the A a little bit, so I just say, off of me. In our English language, the word is forgiveness. How awesome that our God would show us through physics who he is. Even after showing them this, they still come back and they still persist. Well, God, what about this? Well, God, what about this? Well, God, what about this? And you might be that person in here tonight going, God, what about this? And he goes, all right, that's it. Take that stone in your hand and knock her right in the head. Take that person that has been mean to you, has abused you. You go ahead, get your gun out and shoot them. Not one of them could throw the stone. Not one of them was without sin. Then Jesus bends down and he writes in the sand a second time. 
They're all standing there. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And he writes again in the sand. Okay, the first time he told us, do not judge, lest ye be judged. Get the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. Now what is he writing? Again, we do not know exactly what he wrote, but we can have a very good idea based on the circumstantial evidence. I will tell you the word wrote in Greek means old writings. In other words, it means Old Testament to us or Tanakh to them. And Jesus knows that if he writes a scripture, they know what he's talking about. They have memorized him, remember, front to back. They know what he's talking about. And I believe the second scripture that Jesus may have written that day in the sand is Joshua 18, verses 2 and 3. Will you quantum leap with me for a moment now, back from your crisis situation? Will you go with me now to, to where the Israel, the tribes, were to go into the promised land? Perhaps they're on the Jordan, the bank of the Jordan. And, and here is what Joshua is saying to them. He says, there remains among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Hmm, why would he have written that? Because what he is trying to say tonight is, How long are you people going to stay in this mediocre life How long are you going to let this sexual abuse, how long are you going to let these problems in your life, how long are you going to let them keep you out of the land that I have promised to you? How long are you going to let fear and disbelief keep you from what has been planned for your life? How long are you going to hang on to this victim mentality? How long are you going to see yourself as a grasshopper instead of a giant? How long are you going to stay back here? I think Joshua was scared to death that this crew was going to make the same mistake as their fathers made. I think he was worried that, man, he he better do something or back to the wilderness for them. Amen? And so Joshua goes on, verse 8, and he tells them what to do. He says, Then the men arose and went. And Joshua commanded those who went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it and return to me. Then I will cast lots for you here before the Lord. Joshua is giving them a principle that he's giving you tonight. How long will you wait before you go into this promised land? When you go home tonight, you are to go home and you are to say, what's in my heart? What do I want in this life? What is the biggest dream that could come true in my life? And how could I get there? And he said, take three from every tribe. So there were 21 people. And they went in and they scoped it out and they surveyed the land 
And they came back to Joshua and they said, this is what we want. Tonight, I want you to go home. I want you to survey your land and say, what do you want? And take it to the Lord. When Jay and I got married, I was 18 years old and he was 21. According to the world, we should have been poor, blind captives for the rest of our lives. Neither one of us um, had a college education. I don't even know if we had a job at the time. We were living in the mortuary. Whew, that was a good time. And we were just supposed to be on welfare because we were having this baby with little possibilities in life. But something deep inside of us, the Spirit of the Lord I know, told Jay and I, I want you to go and divide and scope out and to survey your promised land. What do you want? And then come back to me and state your case before me. And every year on January 1st, my husband and I sat down. We've done this for 28 years now. We sat down and we survey the land. And we divide it into three sections. We divide it into spiritual. We divide it into um, family. And we divide it into financial. And we say, okay, Lord, this year for spiritual, we want to read the Bible all the way through in the year. And then we want to start a ministry. And then in three years, we want to have this kind of ministry going, and we want to do this, and we want to do this, and we want to do this. Now, with our family, we want to look back in 50 years and still have this incredible family. So, Lord, we want to have a family that this year, our goal, our promised land, is that we eat together every single night. We're going to take a family vacation. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then we go financial. We're going to make this much money this year. We're going to buy a rental this year. We're going to buy two rentals. We're going to buy ten rentals. And by this time, here we are. And I want to tell you that we have crossed many enemies in the last 28 years. We have been over many things the last 28 years. And we have taken much promised land in the last 28 years. And I'm here to tell you, we haven't even begun to cover the promised land that God has for us. And neither did the Israelites. Do you know that when God told them in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, he described the promised land? Do you know that that promised land was 300,000 square miles? 300,000 S slash M do you know the most that the Israelites ever took? 30,000 square miles. 10%. I want to ask you tonight, how much of your promised land is still out there? How much are you going to take how much are you going to leave behind for the enemy? Oh, the disciples or the, the Pharisees and the scribes had had enough. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And they walked off from him. And as they began to walk off, 
Jesus is left there with the woman. And as they begin to walk off, he says the most profound thing you could ever say in physics. He says, I am the light of the world. You see, what he was trying to tell the people all around, the the Pharisees and the scribes and the woman and all of them, he was trying to say, I am the promised land. I am the light of the world. Do you know that light travels at the speed of 300,000 kilometers per second? Do you think that's ironic that he is showing us in the physical what is going on in the spiritual? He is saying, I am the promised land. Do you realize that light does not go with any of the physics laws? Do you know that light bends? Do you know that light can be in two places at once? Do you know that light can um, travel at the speed of light? Amen? Do you know that that's 186,000 miles per minute? That is from L.A. to New York 67 times in a blink of an eye. God is saying to you tonight, people, I am the promised land. How much will you believe for? How much? Are you just willing to believe for 10% of me? Are you just willing to believe for me as your Savior? Or are you willing to believe in me for your healer, for your provider? I can take my laser light and I can transform your heart in a second. I can take my laser heart, my laser beam, and I can open your eyes in a flash. I can take my lightning bolt just like I do a forest and I can transform you. How much will you believe for me? kneels down to the woman. He says, woman, as he picks her up, where are they that accuse you? Where are they that have held you back? Where are they that have abused you? Where are they now? Who out there can condemn you. And she says, no one, Lord, not Savior, not King, Lord, Master over all. He says, woman, now I want you to go out and I want you to sin no more because, woman, you are filled with the power of light. You are filled with 186,000 miles per second. You are filled with 300,000 kilometers per second of pure power. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? She did. And she walked. But others left going, I have no faith in this. I want you for a moment now to quantum leap with me one more time. And this time, you are in the center of the court 
Would the worship team come up? And the prayer team come up? You are in the center court. And it's your life that's on the line here. And Jesus is raising you up. And he begins to quote from Isaiah 63. And he says, Do you not know that by my stripes you are made healed? Do you not know that on the cross I took all your shame, I took all your guilt, I took all your pain? Do you not know that on that cross all your well-being hangs on me? Do you not know this? Do you not know that today I'm asking you, who can condemn you? Because today, I want to set you free. I want to give you redemption, Jesus style, in the blink of an eye. You don't have to go through years of counseling to be healed. You don't have to go through all the ucky steps, the 12 steps, all these things to get where I want you. I can transform your life in the blink of an eye right now if you will only believe. Tonight as the worship team plays our last song, it is not a downer. It is not a sad song. It is exciting because Christ is asking you tonight, will you believe in all of him or are you just going to believe in 10% of him? And if you are going to believe in all of him, will you feel free to come down here tonight and dance your heart out? You can feel free to shout for joy. You can feel free because you are healed if you believe it. It might not look like it in an instant, but believe those echoes. They're going out there. They're going out there. They're going to come bouncing back to you because it's a principle of Scripture. Maybe you only want to know him tonight as Savior. We've got a ministry team down here that wants to pray for you. But if you are willing to accept him, the whole 300,000 kilometers of power per second... Will you just come down here and shout for joy? Amen?